This podcast takes you into the rarely discussed realm of the personal decisions leaders have taken that have influenced their business decisions and developed them into the leaders they are today. The refreshingly honest experiences of those who have been very successful provide an insight into the challenges they faced, the successes they achieved, and the people who influenced them along their journey. Here's our host, Mark Silvera. Welcome to Business Made Personal. This podcast is brought to you by the insurance industry's leading education and events provider, ANZIF, via their Careers in Insurance initiative. I'm Mark Silvera. Hey, thank you so much for downloading us. Uh, today, I have with me Cameron McKercher. Cameron is the Managing Director of Tudor Insurance Broking. He commenced his insurance career as an office clerk with State Insurance in New Zealand in 1994, and he has held many different roles, including those in underwriting, claims and business development, primarily with insurance companies. He is now the MD of a successful broking operation, as I said, Tudor Insurance Brokers. So welcome to the program, Cameron. Thanks, Mark. Great to be with you today. Tell me a little bit about your background. Obviously, you're from New Zealand. What was it like for you during those sort of early years growing up? And, uh, you know, what did you do from a school perspective and those sorts of things? Look, growing up in small town New Zealand, in Alexandra, a town of roughly 5,000 people. I had, a, I had a great childhood, mate. Going to high school, you know, fishing after school, playing golf after school, hunting, just a great outdoor lifestyle in small town New Zealand, really. School was pretty good for me, but not from a education perspective, more from a hanging out with mates perspective. I guess looking back now, I was probably lucky that I was smart enough to get by without doing too much work at school. I wasn't smart enough to get by, i got to tell you. So, you're in a town of 5,000 people where you probably knew everybody by their first name. Was it just a, a transitionary thing that people then move into the big smoke? A lot of people do, but then I've found, you know, over time, some of my good friends haven't left that town, but a lot have moved to towns like Christchurch and Dunedin, Auckland or overseas. A lot of Kiwis head off on their OE, as we called it, straight after high school, before university. But yeah, you do in a town like that. Everyone knows you, you know everyone, and they know what you've done probably before you do most of the time. So your folks in a small town like that, what were they doing from a job perspective? My father was the town clerk working for the local council, and my mother worked in banking at the Bank of New Zealand. Did that, obviously, they weren't on, on the land per se, they were both in office jobs. Did that have influence you in terms of what you wanted to do in your career? Um, at the time, no, but looking back, probably yes. Sort of how I fell into insurance, I guess, really. I was in my last year, second last year of high school, sort of wasting my time from an education point of view. And I wanted to go and do some sort of TAFE course in business, which probably came from what my parents did. But unfortunately, my father said I wasn't allowed to leave school unless I had a job. So he sort of curtailed that from that point of view. And that's how I fell into insurance, basically, because the state insurance office was uh, looking for someone to start as a counter clerk at the time. So was that in Alexandra? Yeah, it was. Yeah. And that was given the town and, you know, what it is, there wasn't a lot of people to fill the role. I was kind of lucky because, I mean, my dad had changed jobs and he'd done a uh, psychometric test to sort of, as part of his going into a new role. And because I was sort of lost of what I wanted to actually do, he decided it would be a good idea for me to do that. And all those tests sort of came back pointing to dealing with people, dealing with sales and dealing with numbers. And that report formed part of my job application at the time, which I think was probably the only thing that got me an interview. 
So that's interesting. You know, psychometric testing and, uh, you know, going back a little bit, obviously, we talked about when you kicked off. That would have been quite unusual, was it? Yeah, it was for me, definitely. It was, I remember going to, I was in Auckland and we had family in Auckland and dad had arranged that through this consulting firm. It was very intense at the time and I had no idea. I mean, for me, I, I wanted to be a racing car driver, but the test certainly pointed out I just didn't have that killer instinct to, to do that. So I remember struggling through the questions, but certainly helped me to where I am today, that's for sure. So you kick off with state insurance, you enter the big world of insurance, and it would have been a big world in comparison to coming from a town of 5,000 people. Were there people in those that sort of early years that really influenced you and really made you sit up and take notice, Cameron? Yeah, I worked with some very good people. The office was only four people. So the four people I worked, the three people I worked with there were fantastic. One of the guys became a close friend, Terry Monaghan, and he was a, an inspector, as they were called then. But we also had a head office in Dunedin, which was two hours down the road, where, you know, coming from an office of four into a, an office building where three floors were taken up by insurance, state insurance, you know, the customer service, the claims, the commercial division. Yeah, it was a real eye-opener for me, that's for sure. So how did you then move to Australia? I moved around New Zealand with my role. So I went from Alexandra to a town called Nelson at the top of the South Island. They had an opening up there, then back to Dunedin some years later. And Dunedin is a great town. It's a, it's a student town and I had a lot of friends there at university. But once they started to leave, the town became a bit boring. I didn't fancy Auckland and I had some friends who lived in Melbourne. Came for a holiday did a bit of research online and there was a lot of insurance jobs at the time and basically came back to work in Dunedin, handed my resignation and headed across here a month later to see what I could do. At this stage, you were on your own, Cameron? Yes. Yep. I certainly came here with no intention to stay. I thought it might be a launching pad to head further abroad, but once again, found a great job with SGIO at the time doing business development with a lot of brokers and just loving Melbourne. So you bolt over here and, and, you know, there's been a lot of New Zealanders come to Melbourne, Sydney, et cetera, et cetera. But were there any sort of challenges that you didn't expect that you had to face? From a work perspective, not really. It was, I come over with an open mind. I've, I've always sort of been, well, at that stage, just sort of a fly by the seat of your pants person and just take things as they come. I didn't like to plan too far ahead because I just wanted to see where life took me. And I think that's the beauty of this industry that we're in is it, it can actually take you anywhere and everywhere, which is why I love it so much. And what about on the personal front? Were there any challenges? Because you would have left your family and you would have left a relatively small town where you were well known. You come to Melbourne where no one knows you. The anonymity was probably a good thing, to be honest. But yeah, no, I came over basically knowing one person that lived here. We started living together and then the friendship group expanded from there quite quickly, especially working in an office like SGIO and then later moving up to CGU when that merger took place. So the challenge for me was probably more missing the family and missing my good close school friends. That was probably my biggest challenge, but that was sort of overcome by the people I met once I moved here and particularly the people in the industry that we deal with now. So if we then sort of fast forward your career a little bit, you spent most of your life with insurance companies. Well, probably more, more, just about more broking now, I reckon. But up until that point, well, I came to Tudor in 2004. So so why the move to a broking operation? I mean, you, you know, insurance companies are generally large, larger, you've got a lot more opportunity. 
what was the thought around, okay, I'm going to try something as different as purchasing or getting involved with a suburban brokerage, basically? Well, I looked at what I was doing from a development point of view with CGU, SGIO as business-to-business sales, and I saw broking as the same thing. Obviously, working in insurance for 16 years before I moved into broking, I had an idea of the products. The driver for it was going from SGIO, where we were 60 people in Victoria, being able to, as a development manager, do deals with brokers, get in front of them, have a lot of fun doing that, going to CGU where it was a reverse takeover for us. We were the the small sheep going into the big flock and I found I was doing more business with myself at CGU and it just wasn't what I wanted to do. I had a good relationship with the guys at Tudor at the time and when I was out there, it popped up and the rest is history, mate. So I didn't realise you'd been there since 2004. That is a fair while. Yes, yep. And you've clearly never looked back. It's obviously something that is now ingrained in what you do. Absolutely. What were the key differences? The key differences for me is being able to see the difference we make to the end user as such. As an underwriter, yes, you're providing something to a broker and you're making those relationships, but you're not really making a difference to the end user as such from a tangible perspective. Whereas as a broker, we go out, we meet people, we get to know their business, we see how they operate and we see how we can help and protect them should the worst happen. And that's the part that I love. And, that, you know, I've, I've been thinking over the years about, you know, my journey into insurance. And it, this, to me, in broking, there's two sorts of people. There's people who want to help people, which I think is the majority. And then there's people who are doing it as a job to, you know, make a lifestyle, which I'm lucky enough to have both, obviously. And it's the helping that I love. It's knowing that we're making a difference to someone should something go wrong. We're delivering on a promise. And that's the hardest thing about our role is we're selling something that's not tangible. We're selling a bit of paper that says, if something goes wrong, we're here to help you at the end of the day. And when it does go wrong, that's that's obviously not what you want. But being able to help someone through that process is just really rewarding as far as I'm concerned. And the bit I picked up there was when it does go wrong, you didn't say if it does go wrong, which is really one of those things that you know you never hope will happen, but more often than not, it does. As you well know, Cameron, this this show is called Business Made Personal. So I wanted to speak a little bit more on the personal stuff with you. I want to talk about January 2023. You were a subject of an article by Insurance News on mental health. A question I have for you is why did you decide to speak up about that topic? Look, I think there's, you know, there's plenty of anecdotal evidence out there that blokes think mental health is, or speaking up about mental health is a sign of weakness, where I think it's the complete opposite. In the late 2010s, early teens, I went through some fairly significant trauma with a relationship, and that sent me down a very deep, dark spiral. And, you know, you've got two choices when things like that happen. You either let it take over your life, or you get on the front foot and do something positive about it. So speaking up about those struggles that we all have, I think is very, very important. And normalising that is equally as important because like I say to, you know, my kids, my wife, my staff, anyone who will listen basically is if you break your arm, you go and get it fixed. You don't just walk it off. If there's something going on personally and with your mental health, you treat it exactly the same because there's mental health and physical health, but overall it's just health. And if there's something wrong, you need to do your best to fix it. I guess some people listening would say the difference is if I've broken my arm, I know it's not going to fix on its own. Whereas if I've got a mental health issue, not that I've experienced it to the level you have, but more often than not, you think it'll get better. 
And then you're in a situation where you may not know what to do. How did you manage to go, this isn't helping me, I need to go and seek some advice or seek another way to solve this situation I'm in? From my perspective, I don't feel I had a choice. What I was going through was dealing with someone who had some fairly severe mental health problems themselves, which led to addictions. The way I viewed it was those issues were caused by not thinking you can do anything about it to a point where it became too much and in the end there was nothing that could be done about it. I just think you've got to be proactive. Even if you have a cold, you take cold and flu tablets. Yes, it'll go away on itself by itself, but you have to do got to be proactive. It's like anything in life. If you want to improve, if you want to be better, you have to be proactive about it. And that's why I speak up about the mental health issues because it's normalizing it, saying, yes, it might go away on its own, but how long is that going to take? If you can be proactive, if you can be positive, if you can seek that independent help to make it better, you've got to do it for your own benefit in the end for everyone around you because the Mental health has a massive impact on you personally, but it also has a massive impact on all those around you, whether you want to believe that or not, it does. Oh, it's a sneaky thing. There's no doubt about it. It just sort of takes over your life and you really, you don't even realise it's happening, right? Correct. It does. You know, it's the black dog. It does sneak up on you. So you've got to allow yourself the time to realise something is happening. But once you do, you need to act and you need to be proactive to help yourself. And there's no shame in it. The sooner you can be better, the better everyone will be. I wanted to ask you, you're involved in a thing called the Be Your Best Now initiative. What is that, please? So Be Your Best Now is a that is designed to elevate your mental state. So it's not something that's designed to bring you from a low to a higher position. It's designed to take people who are, you know, dealing with life fairly well already and elevate them to a level that they probably didn't realise they could be at just in their day-to-day life. So I was introduced to Mark Carazzo via my accountant about 12 months ago now, I would say, and I was really taken by what he was doing and how he was doing it. So he delivers this wellbeing program to groups. And as I said, it's about taking where you are now and elevating that, talking things like sleep, meditation, gratefulness, mindfulness. And it's just another way of being proactive with your mental health, whether you think you need it or not. It's just a proactive step, I guess. I would equate it to you're fit and healthy, but you, you take a vitamin because you want to be better. That's basically vitamins for your, for your mental health to elevate you from a good point to an even better point. So obviously you are involved in that. What sort of difference has it made to you? We run it here monthly with our team at Tudor. So once a month, Mark comes in and delivers the program. For me personally, it's just little things. You know, every workshop you pick up something small. We had a topic based on sleep and how important sleep is to your overall health. And it's just little things like, you know, nowadays we're all stuck to our phones or we're stuck to a computer and work's taking over our lives or we want to see what everyone else is doing on social media or something like that. It's just a simple routine before you're going to bed. Put your phone down an hour before you go to bed. Your bedroom should be for sleep, not for watching TV and just setting up a routine to make that nighttime process the same every night to give your body the best chance to sleep. Focusing on gratefulness, you know, we can always be, there's always something wrong in our lives and we can choose to focus on that or we can choose to focus on what we are grateful for. And I had a conversation with my daughter 
she gets a bit sick of me banging on about, you know, being grateful. And she was unwell. And I, and she goes, oh, what have I got to be grateful for? I'm unwell. And I said, you know, well, you could either be grateful that you've got a nice warm home, you've got parents to look after you, you've got food, you've got a warm bed to recuperate in. You know, some people don't have that. So you can be very grateful for that. So it's about even in the darkest times, finding something that you can be grateful for to just make your mind go away from the darkness and head towards the light. Yeah, I mean, that's very well put. And in fact, if you will send us the link, we will put that link on the Business Made Personal website for people to access should they choose to do so. I wanted to talk to you about, you're now with Tudor, you're the managing director. You've got, to some extent, the ability to determine your own destiny. How has that impacted you from a mental health perspective and a well-being perspective? Look, at the start, it was probably a bit overwhelming. I went from worrying about myself to now worrying about a whole team and can I cope with that? But putting in place the strategies which I learned through those dark times, and that's why I'm grateful for those dark times because it has taught me so much. It's allowed me to flourish and at once what I want to do is pass on that knowledge that I wish I knew you know, probably 20 years ago to my team now. So, you know, the day-to-day broking hasn't really changed from my perspective, but it's about what I can impart to our team um, and how I can make them better. And it, it makes me actually feel quite good about myself. So the impact has been positive on me. I've learned to let stresses go, which I can't control. It is what it is, is a great motto. Or like I say to the people here, when something's not going right, I say you have to give it the ELSA treatment and just let it go because if you can't control it, there's no point in worrying about it. And it's easier said than done, but over time, it's only beneficial for you. After we finish this chat, mate, I might pick up a couple of tips from you if you don't mind. (laughs) No problems, mate. Talk to me a little bit about, you talked about that circumstance that sort of sent you spiralling down the dark path. Was that the hardest challenge you've had to overcome in your life? Yeah, it definitely is. It was definitely the hardest thing I've ever dealt with. So my partner obviously had an addiction issue, which, you know, I did my best to help. I tried everything I could. I sort of was foolish in the fact that I didn't let people know when I should have, looking back. I could have done something differently. I would have let people know earlier, but you think you're doing the right thing by them, by not publicising it, not letting people know. She was a very private person, so you know I was trying to trying to do the right thing there, and it was a deeply traumatic experience, very harrowing. And at the end of the day, without the help I received, it could have been very different because you can carry a lot of guilt about the situation. But you know, through what I went through and and with a counsellor, I understood that no matter what I did, it wasn't going to change anything. And part of the reason I left the situation was to say, well, if I leave, that's hopefully rock bottom for you. And you can then use that to change from there. And unfortunately, it wasn't to be for that person. And yeah, unfortunately, she's no longer with us now due to that. And you can carry a lot of guilt for that. But and I do. And, you know, there's not many days go by that I don't think about that situation. But knowing what I know, no matter what I did, it wouldn't have changed the outcome in the end. If I didn't do what I did, I'd probably be in a very different circumstance now as well. That's a really tough one. And I guess you were still working at the time. So how did you go managing that really intense situation in your personal life and still trying to do your job? Look, I used work as a sanctuary, to be honest. It was my safe place. It was the place I could come, forget about what was going on in the outside world and concentrate on my job, 
on my clients and on the team I worked with. So yeah, for me, it was a crutch and it was very, very helpful. There was obviously some, some times where I didn't cope. The only thing I could do with that was be honest with the business and just say, look, I just need some time. But for me, work was a godsend. If I wasn't working an industry that is so much about helping people and caring for others, I'm not sure that it, the once again that the outcome for me would have been as positive as it has been. I mean, I don't like saying it's a positive. It's a very, very dark situation, but turning it on its head, the positive for me is what I've learned, what I've gained and the importance I said earlier of dealing with something as soon as you can and getting the right advice to stop going down a path which is uh, destructive. And, you know, I mean, we talk about this insurance industry and how small it is, even though it's perceived to be large. Did you get a bit of support from the insurance community whilst you were going through all of that? From the people close to me, I did. Obviously, you know, it wasn't something at the time that I, I wanted to talk about with too many people. And probably for the first two years, no one knew what was going on, not even my friends. I kept it to myself, which probably, as I said earlier, wasn't helpful, but it's how you deal with it. But once it was done and once it was over, people that I opened up to, you know, they open your arms, they, they bring you in and they just want to be there to support and help you. And I really believe, you know, it is a small industry. You know, I still remember the people I met on day one when I walked into SGIO when I first started in Australia. And I still know those people now. And, you know, most of them know what happened and they're very, very supportive as everyone who I've met through the journey have been. If Let's change tack a little bit. I'm speaking with Cameron McCurcher, who's the Managing Director of Tudor Insurance Brokers. Cameron, I want to talk a little bit about, you mentioned that you'd like to pass some information on to those people coming into the industry. When you joined the industry and you were developing your career, did you have mentors that supported you and helped develop you? Yeah, definitely. Look, coming into insurance, I knew zero. I'll never forget the first question I was asked in my job interview, uh, 1994, is what do you know about insurance? And my answer back then was my parents have it. That was my limited knowledge at the time. Look, what I would say to people was don't judge a book by its cover. Insurance isn't perceived as a glamorous or a sexy industry, but what we do exposes us to all all levels of the community. Um, it exposes us to manufacturing, retail, wholesale, professional services. You learn so much about the world and what we do and whether it's broking, whether it's underwriting, there's so many paths you can go down in this great industry of ours is don't judge insurance as, oh, it's just boring old insurance. There's an amazing industry. It offers so many opportunities. It was one of the only industries you could get into without a formal education as well. And I still believe you know, if I'm looking for staff, I don't care whether they've got a formal education or not. What I look for is common sense and someone who's willing to give it a go because we can teach insurance. What we look for is attitude. And this industry's given me everything in my life, really. And I'm forever grateful for what it is. And that's what all my mentors have taught me is, you know, don't just judge it on insurance. It's actually what we do is relationships. And those relationships are the conduit to, to the protection that we offer our clients. And thinking about your current role, what would you say is the most challenging part of what you do? For me, it's the staff management. It's dealing with different personalities, different mindsets, all those challenges that come with dealing with people. When I say it's a challenge, that's a good thing because I love it because I'm learning every day. One of the worst things I ever did was make an early in my managerial career, 
was make a comparison between two people who were completely different people. And that's probably one of the biggest lessons I ever learned is don't compare people. It still haunts me to this day. I still think about it to this day and I'll never do it again. But the challenge of, of dealing with people and the reward you see from them growing is fantastic for me. Yeah, and I think we've all been down that path, right? When you're a manager of trying to treat everybody with the same brush and it just doesn't work. Let's talk a little bit about people coming into the business these days. I mean, you know, like you said, you kicked off in Tudor in, in 2004. Thinking about people that you've employed over the years, are you seeing a shift in terms of expectations from younger people entering the industry? Yeah, absolutely. There's an expectation for money, which a lot of the time is unrealistic. There's an expectation to be a hundred steps ahead of where they actually should be. But look, it's not their fault. That's what they've learned. And it's our job to tamper that. You certainly don't want to put that fire out because you want them to be ambitious and want to grow, but it's about tampering it and talking about what they need to do to get to that space and trying to make them understand it's not a five-minute job, it's a career-long goal. But if you take those expectations correctly, you'll be well rewarded in this industry going forward. I've got a couple of final questions for you, sir, before we let you go. The first one I've got is... If you had a magic wand and you could change anything about the insurance sector, what would you change? What I would change about the sector is probably the perception that it's just take money and never pay out. Seeing it from the inside, it's not what happens, unfortunately. You get shows like A Current Affair and, and all those bad news shows just telling everyone how bad insurance is and it never pays out. But for every one of those stories that you hear or see, I'd guarantee you there'd be thousands of good news stories. So my magic wand would be to change the perception of what insurance actually does for people to the general population. And if you had the opportunity to go to that young man back in Alexandra and you're able to give him a few words of advice, what would you say to him, Cameron? I would probably say to him, take it a bit more seriously than you did at the start, to be honest. <laughs> you know, that would be my only advice is take it a bit more seriously. Probably because I left school, because I wasn't enjoying the learning aspect of school, I probably didn't treat the learning aspect of the role that I started with enough respect at the time. That probably set me back three or four years at the time. But once again, the beauty of what we do is it's on-the-job training is the best you can get, but you do need to better yourself outside of the workplace as well. So that would be take that education piece more seriously from the start rather than having to go back and do it over again. And the final question for you, what's next for Cameron McCurcher? What's next for me is some exciting growth in our business, mate. Since I took over as managing director here, we've, we've spent five years taking a really good business to being a great business and we're now ready to put the foot on the accelerator and grow. And the next piece of that's probably going to be hopefully some acquisitions coming up, building a fantastic team that's on board with each other, that respects each other and provides exemplary service and solutions to our customers. Brilliant, mate. Thank you so much for taking the time and also for being so honest and raw in your story. I think it was really quite a compelling, certainly for me anyway. And I just wanted to thank you for being on Business Made Personal, Cameron. Thank you so much for lending us your ears. Please remember to click follow on your podcast app or subscribe at bmppodcast.com.au so we can give you a sneak peek of our next guest. Until next time, I'm Mark Silvera and you've been listening to Business Made Personal.